0: So one of my friends told me that he doesn't go to church because he feels like he'll get struck by lightning if he enters the building. Although the math of his logic ain't quite math and right, theoretically, wouldn't a vengeful God strike him while he's in the street with his dick out instead of when he's trying to repent? I get it. That Christian imposter syndrome thing is real, because I feel it too but mine it it isn't a fair judgment well at least not a fair judgment from god like for me it's my belief in god has always felt more intellectual than spiritual like it makes sense to me that god exists but i just don't feel the spirit the way other christians seem to so while they're in church singing and dancing and screaming and crying and catching the spirit i'm thinking about brunch I've tried to mitigate this gap between how I feel and how I believe I'm expected to feel with the way I pray, which is less prayer and more spiritual wakake. I mean, I I pray for health, wealth, happiness, family, friends, world peace, meta world peace, new coworkers, ex-girlfriends, and random niggas with gout. Sometimes it'll last up to 20 minutes. I'm sure some of this anxiety is connected to how I grew up. We were Christian, but we weren't in church every Sunday. Any Sunday, really. Unless it was Easter or someone died. <laughs> well, someone other than Christ. Maybe I would have developed some sort of spiritual muscle memory by now. But I, I don't know. Like, is that even necessary? Like, do, do I need to feel the spirit? Do I need to feel God to believe it? But then, if I don't feel it, what's the point of the believing? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here, and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving. To your local store, like now. Go! This is Stuck with Damon Young, the show where only God can judge me. Boom, 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 boom. And on today's episode, we talk about the performance of believing in God. Basically, like why do I feel like a bad Christian if my expression of belief doesn't look like the good Christians I see at church? And where does this anxiety come from?
1: If you look at it like sports, right? It's the fanatics that drive the reputation of the group. The the reputation of Philadelphia sports fans is probably due to the 10% of the Philadelphia fans that are that be wilding.
0: Yeah, so that's Roy Wood Jr., who is one of my favorite comedians. He's also a correspondent on The Daily Show. And I wanted to talk to him because he's a nigga from the South. So I just assumed he has some insights about God and, and religion and performing Christianity.
1: Absolutely. It's not like I'm Tiffany Haddish and I go, I've tricked you. Got a little Jewish in me. They're <laughs> like, No, dude, I came up in the black church. I spent every summer at Vacation Bible School in Clarksdale, Mississippi with my grandparents. I was two days a week, maybe three days, two days a week church Mm -hmm. in Mississippi. Got way more religion with my grandmother and my aunt than I did at home. But, you know, I was in the church choir. I was active in the the Boy Scout troop at church. Shout out Sixth Avenue Baptist Troop 415. You know, support them. Um, But, my relationship with the church kind of turned when I got out of college. Religion as a whole was, I would say, that's when the first kind of still buying into the methodical indoctrination stylistically of how you worship and this is the way that you do it and you must do it like this exactly Mm -hmm. or else you will burn in hell. The first instance of it, I was in middle school, I sang in the children's choir. And my ninth grade year, I got cut from the high school. I got cut from my high school. I didn't make the team, I wasn't on it. I got cut, I didn't make the team. And so I made the decision that season to still be the bat boy for the varsity team so that I could observe people who were better than me at baseball, so that I could hopefully get better at baseball. Well, practice, uh, now baseball practice is conflicting with choir rehearsal. And so, youth choir only sings once a month. We sing the same four damn songs. (laughs) We had a a five-song bucket, we sing three. And once a year, you add a new song to the bucket and take a song out. So, it, it, it wasn't hard, bro. I miss choir rehearsal. I show up for choir. On that Sunday, and he lets me sing. And then the next week, and this wasn't at Sixth Avenue, I don't want anybody to think I'm trashed at Sixth Avenue. This is another church at the time. Choir director says some slick shit to me in the parking lot. He goes, You relate again to choir rehearsal. I go, Yeah, you know, baseball and getting a ride from baseball practice over here, and you know, whatever. And he goes, Son, one day you're going to have to decide between singing your praises to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, (laughs) or going to hell. And he fucking walked off. And I'm like, 14. I'm like, my nigga, what? Like, I come on Sundays and I tithe and I try to be a good dude the other six days. This This is extracurricular. This is bonus points. What the fuck are you talking about? And that infuriated me, and that was the last day that I went. I went home. I told my mom, I'm straight on that. That was kind of the beginning of seeing things differently. and so the so pretty much from college on, my life has been trying not to judge entire religions based on my interactions with the fanatics.
0: yeah, it's um just listen to your story. And there are, there's a lot of, I guess, synergy between yours and mine. Now, I didn't, I grew up Baptist, but I didn't learn any Baptist anything in school. I went to Catholic school. And so I went through all of that where, you know, like I still know all the words of Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) I know that the TV version has different songs than the album version.
1: You know the deep cuts.
0: Yeah, I know the deep cuts. (laughs) And, um... And even, you know, I had a, I had like a bit of a religious epiphany while I was stealing clothes. Because <laughs> there was this department store, downtown Pittsburgh, Coffins. I had a system where I would buy a shirt for real, but I would take one of those shirts without the, I would find a shirt that didn't have the thing on it. And I would put it in a bag when I would go in the dressing room and then i would walk out. But then one nice. day this happened, and the buzzer goes off when I'm going th- when I leave the store. So no one notices, but I hurry up and go back in because I think God is watching me. <laughs> All right? Like I feel nice. God's <laughs> eyes on me. Like yo, this nigga, this nigga, you know, he he has a mom and dad at home. He has meals. He don't need to be stealing clothes, and he's out here. I'm gonna I'm gonna strike this nigga with lightning. <laughs> okay, when he leaves yeah. the store. And so um, I ended up going back in the store. And the thing is, it wasn't even the stolen shirt that had the sensor, it was the the clerk forgot to take the sensor off the thing I bought. But that that whole experience just scared me out of stealing.
1: Now see, that's the stuff I rock with, man, where you feel like the universe is talking to you. Mm -hmm. There was a time in the fourth grade where I was about to get jumped. Like they would sit and watch you go in the corner store and buy a Faygo and your Laffy Taffys or whatever. Mm. And you know, I'm fourth grade. These are like six, seven, huge grown men to me. (laughs) And they would shake you down for your candy. And one day I just didn't feel like giving it up, man. So they jumped me. And as as they're like getting ready to really get into beating my ass, just an old dude just comes up and breaks up the fight. And as I'm gathering to get up to tell him thank you, he's gone. Now, I'm not here to tell ghost story, guardian, angel, whatever on your podcast, but I'm only telling you that I know in that moment, somebody had my back. Somebody was looking over me, Mm -hmm. period, point blank. Because the the way, where this fight occurred, this old dude couldn't have just (laughs) disappeared behind a car. You know, there's things like that similar to your downtown Pittsburgh where you just, nah, there's something that's kind of nudging you Mm -hmm. to kind of look out for you, that's looking over you and things like that. And so, you know, I definitely believe that there is something, the what and the rules and regulations on how to get to that next level. That's where I have questions.
0: Considering, you know, your background and growing up in the church and, you know, now you're touring, you're doing stand-up, you're doing these shows, and whatever, I feel like there's a lot of synergy between, I guess, preaching and stand-up. And did you oh, yeah. feel like you got any of your rhythms or any of your traits that you use on stage now from from the church and from watching preachers and watching pastors and growing up with that?
1: Um, more of the downsides of it where they are— the lower the lulls in the peaks and valleys of the performance. Mm -hmm. Um I think it was Chris Rock who I first heard make that connection where he talked about the cadence of the Baptist preacher and taking the premise and repeating it multiple times before continuing with the bit. Um there's a lot of Baptist preachers. There's a lot of South Carolina and Chris Rock's delivery and his style, even the way he prowls the stage Mm -hmm. left to right. You know, I do think that there is a performance art, it, which is why it's interesting now to watch some of these newer, younger preachers. I can't think of any of their names, but you know they don't have the podium. They're wearing sneakers. They, they got the LED presentation stuff going on in the background. I have watched some of the newer mega church pastors. I have one of
0: them. My 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 <laughs> the pastor <laughs> of my church. That's him. <laughs> like he he wears, he wears J's. <laughs> like he, yeah. he hoops
1: so <laughs> he's we like have, three years
0: younger than me <laughs> so
1: we used to so in the last years of my morning show in Birmingham we used to do this uh, segment called ask the reverend and um, we would have a pastor on and you know he would talk spirituality and rap with the callers about you know whatever they were going through it was just upliftment right and um, this cat this is my first time you know, meeting these type of cats, but uh this is uh it was uh Pastor Mike McClure of the Rock Church, and Pastor Mike used to come on and he had church service on Sundays, and he had like three or four services, and he would do a service at like I think like three in the afternoon or something. He would do one at like nine in the morning and three in the afternoon, and he was telling us how you know there would be dope boys. You know, that was either just coming off of, you know, working or just waking up from working all night who would still come to his church. You know, very much a come as you are type situation. And I do think that that part of that evolution of the pastor has helped to normalize religion to people who normally wouldn't have come to the button down, you know, old school MLK wooden podium church fan with the funeral home on the back of the ice cream stick type situation. Um, The thing that pastors do now, in my opinion, that pastors that I saw coming up did not do is that they use silence. They're not in a rush to get to the next line of their sermon. And it helps to really settle in emotions. And so, you know, I've been trying to do a little more storytelling. Uh, Comedy Central had me host, This Is Not Happening uh, for a couple of years and that show really taught me, you know, the pacing and connecting with people and how pauses are just as important as the words. So I've probably learned more of that. That's probably something that I've been able to use more than just to ha, to hit the ha, ha, did you hear me? Yeah. Like performatively, that's just not what I do in general. So it doesn't really help me in the long run.
0: I feel you cuz like when I when I go to church now in 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 the and the, pra- and the pastors that that I guess speak to me a bit more they're giving TED talks. That that's what that's what they're ultimately doing. Like they're, they're they're preaching the word or whatever, but it's the same rhythms and it's the same like techniques that that people use when they're when they're doing these talks in front of people that are on YouTube or whatever. And and and, and another like distinction between like the, the the churches that I went to when I was younger and even like you know my, my my wife's church my wife's home church which is like this old church in the hill district with like 16 members <laughs> okay <laughs> hanging on <laughs> yeah and in the in the in the pastor there with and, and we don't go we go to another church but the pastor there when we would go talks about hell a lot. And I remember growing up and hearing conversations and references to hell a lot, like you better not do this, you better not drink this, you better not eat this or you're going to hell. But the preachers now, the younger preachers, the cool preachers, or whatever, they don't talk about hell. They talk about heaven, they talk about salvation, but they don't talk about hell the way that The older preachers did, and that again, that that could just be anecdotal, just the the things that I've experienced and witnessed. But it feels like there's been a distinct change in the messaging.
1: There's definitely less intimidation tactics, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's definitely more of a hey, here's how you make this work for you, which I think is dope. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, you know very enjoyable. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just think people are looking for community and religion provides that. And, you know, much like a sports team, you just gotta find the one that works for you and the fan base you rock with.
0: How do you feel, and, and we're talking about just contemporary Christianity and whatever, about gospel rap? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just never know who it's for. We we again going back to my radio days, we play gospel rap on Sunday mornings. Uh it's called Gospel Jams. And we would do straight up gospel rap and like the Kurt Franklin type stuff from 8 a.m. to about eleven a.m. eleven a.m. we get on back into some R and B. Then you get Lil John round mm-hmm. two. <laughs> but um it, whatever gets people to come and see it, I I think the thing rap fans have to understand is that gospel rap is not for you. The same way the Impossible Burger is not for meat eaters. You know, gospel rap is the Impossible Burger of rap
0: music. That you know, I, I've I've never heard it put that way. Uh, it's not for is you. Not, it's for people yeah, who not, it's not, want it's not for close. me.
1: Yeah. So just you, <laughs> you have to leave that alone. I do respect the fact that gospel rappers are kind of resigned and they know, like, yeah, this is all I'm gonna get. I'm gonna sell. 30,000 copies, but I'm going to clean up on it. Yo, it's so it's much money on that church circuit. Mm-hmm. Bro, there's comedians you've never heard of or comedians you haven't heard from in decades that are out there making comfortable mid-six-figure salaries, and all they do is perform at churches. However, because they're beholden to that world, they can't even dabble in mainstream secular... because it'll mess up the rest of their bread that's a market that's very very hard to please so the comedians that do it and do it well they make a great living i would imagine gospel rap is no different i'm sure if it's one thing the church got is money they raise the money for a jet (laughs) pay for this comedy show
0: yeah the thing that gets me is when you know you have like some of the most vulgar most like trappiest rap songs that are remixed for for gospel like I ain't a killer, but don't push me. Revenge is like the sweetest joy next to getting Jesus. It's like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it.
1: Man, appreciate you, man. Have a good one.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on today with humble spirits. In Jesus' name, we acknowledge that we are undeserving of your great power, Lord. Lord, we are low. Lord, we are mere sinners like dirt. Lord, we are dog poop, Lord. Dog poop left behind by careless, sinful, and badly dressed dog owners, Lord. We are undeserving of your great power, Lord, like foul, odorous dog poop, Lord, poorly placed and left behind on the sidewalk of life, Father God. We pray in Jesus' name that you might be our pooper scuba, Lord. Find us in the bush lord pooper scoop us up father god and carry us out of the treacherous debris of life lord fertilize us with your love in jesus name father god let our evil decompose and let our hearts be recycled and renewed in the faithful compost of the holy spirit rake us into your fruitful soil, Lord, so that we might be transformed to be a righteous sweet fruit. In your precious name we pray, amen.
3: would appreciate it if preachers just preached their questions more than they stood up in pulpits and said, God gave me the answer.
0: So that's Dr. Brittany Cooper. She's an associate professor of women and gender studies at Rutgers and an author of the New York Times bestselling Eloquent Rage, and it's even a preacher herself. And I wanted to talk to her about God because I just, I don't know, I, I feel like she knows him better than I do.
3: I mean, we're all skeptics, like really thinking people. Most of us come to the text and the faith with way more questions than answers. And the thing that draws us back there is some sense that for all of the ways it defies logic, there feels like something fundamentally true about it. And that's why we show up. But it's not because we actually don't have lots of questions and I think we would do people far more service if we said, like, when I see this in the text, I have a problem with it, right? Because I think that there's something that happens when we can grapple with the things that don't work for us about this, um, as opposed to imposing answers on people over and over again. I think it would really free folks up a bit.
0: Like, okay, sometimes I'll go to church and I'll see people who are You know, who are feeling the spirit, who are feeling the Holy Ghost, who are feeling the presence of God in a room, and I just don't feel it. And I believe in God, right? But I am not there where they are. And so a part of me sometimes is like, you know what, maybe, maybe if I, if I start speaking in tongues, (laughs) it'll it'll just, it'll just, it'll just come to me. Like I'll just, I'll just start. <laughs> Almost like a like a kid that's 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 modeling the alphabet, just saying the alphabet over and over again, you know, so that they eventually just know the alphabet. It's like okay, if I just like to start, I'm like if I just start doing that, <laughs> then then the spirit's gonna come from heaven and just just go through my my head, and I'll have it.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for faking until you make it. I will say that I've never, I don't speak in tongues. So, (laughs) but here's the thing. I find that moment when everyone else is having a whole spiritual experience and I'm not to be so anxiety producing. I'm embarrassed. I'm looking around. Really what happens is that I get annoyed because I am just like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. And, and, and the thing that's crazy is that that was the cause of so much of my childhood anxiety Like I would go to church every week. I would be like, you know, I mean, literally like eight years old, nine years old. I would just be like, the Lord's going to come back and I can't even walk down the aisle and I can't even profess any of this stuff. But mostly it was because I was like, well, I'm watching, um, you know, you know, Miss Mabel or whoever fall out on Sundays and the Usher have to come and, you know, fan her. And I don't want to fall out. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just listening to the preacher. I I was even a kid who, while I liked the choir, I really didn't care about the choir that much. I was just like, I just want to hear what the preacher has to say. Like it was all really nerdy and cerebral to me. And I spent many, many, many years as a young person just feeling like I don't, I mean, like, I don't feel anything. Am I supposed to feel something? Like, I believe this is true, but that feels really detached or whatever. And it freaked me the hell out. And and what it really, so what I'll say to you is like, I have felt like an imposter as a Christian for, I would argue, most of my life. Like, as a, like, I don't really get the thing that other people are doing. What are you doing? Like, I've never thought, like, I need to lay out. I need to lay out on the ground. I have been overtaken by the spirit and I am not in control of my body. never like I've never had that experience and when other people start to do it so I don't go to churches where speaking in tongues is like the order of the day not because I don't think it's real but because I just think that I would appear falsely there right um and I you know and I and my joke as a preacher and with my friends is I'm always like if I were a shouting Christian because I don't shout, you know. And even when I started to preach, like one of the things I'm thinking about is, I'm like, but I can't preach like all those pastors who get happy in the pulpit and they yell and scream and lay out and mop their brow with a handkerchief and all that stuff. <laughs> None of that feels authentic for me at this juncture, and I and so I often think I'm a faker. Like, well,
0: awesome. I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad you said imposter because that I think that's the word that I've been searching for for this entire feeling that I've that I've had since I was a kid also, and I also had and I still have that anxiety when I go to church and I see people around me who are, you know, who are acting the fool, basically, <laughs> <laughs> who are acting the fool, and I just I just don't feel it
3: when I've had male pastors. Good good Black preaching, like, follows the rhythms of sex, right? It's like, it's a steady, steady, steady kind of build. And, and as you build to the crescendo of the sermon, like, you are building until you get everybody to shout. Like, you are building, building, building until there's an eruption of the crowd. And then, after there's an eruption of the crowd, then... The preacher stops, takes a breath, and then starts talking real low, like pillow talk. And everybody's inhibitions are lowered. And that's when you're supposed to come to the altar. That's when you're supposed to... Like, in that moment where, you know, after you've reached your climax, and then all of the things that you say in those, you know, those sort of waning moments of sex. And I was like, oh church is really erotic like it's deeply that's a, yeah,
0: it's a deeply erotic experience it's yeah.
3: really erotic yeah. mm. and it, so in that when i see women in particular becoming very emotive or even men right becoming very emotive i'm like it's less about to me that's not i mean not that it can't be spiritual but it's also really erotic and it's like a it's an it's an erotic energy and it feels that way and and for the that coupled with the way that the church engages in like a politics of sexual repression, then I think it becomes a a way that people feel like they can express erotic energy communally. I think church is the one place where Black women can lay out and cry and know that people are going to attend to them, where you can publicly say all is not well and you can leave it all on the pew, the floor, the altar, the whatever. You can wildly sort of express your body in church and the only other place you really can do it is in the club and be in community and have that be affirmed as something communal. And so I think that those are, I think that some of that is what's going on is that there's so much repression of our erotic energy, life force body that, and and the stuff where it isn't suppressed, the rest of the world just understands you go to the club, you smoke weed, you fuck, right? Right. But for us, we're like, <laughs> well, 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 Jesus doesn't like that. So then you just do all of those same actions. You just do them at church, right? Mm-hmm. You get hot, you, you know, you lay out. And so that, so that's what has come I started looking at women shouting in church, and I was like, this is orgasmic for them. It's and as a person who has not ever needed or wanted the church for my orgasms, then that ain't going to be me in church, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) How does your feminism inform your spirituality and vice versa?
3: So for a long time, I really thought about them as being separate. And so I was living in Atlanta in a PhD program, which is when I first began to call myself a feminist. I've been a heavy church girl since I was a little girl. Uh, and so I just literally, um, I separated them out. But this curious thing started to happen where I would be in Sunday school. So I remember a particular Sunday school lesson and we were talking about the story of Vashti and Esther. Okay, The study Bible that I had was like, giving Vashti a hard time and talking about how Esther did everything right. And I was like, well, he asked... The king asked Vashti to dance naked in front of all his drunk friends. And she said no. And then he cast her out. And so all the Sunday school people were like, she should have done what God told her to do. And I was like, God didn't tell her to do that. The king told her to do that. And that's not appropriate. So I'm, like, going toe-to-toe in Sunday school. And at some point later, like, I realized, oh, my God, these worlds have collided. I... (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm not doing a good job of keeping my feminism out of church very well anymore. And it allowed me to really begin to reckon, which I have done over a number of years with the received thinking that I had about women being pastors and preachers. I didn't grow up seeing women pastors and preachers. Like, I didn't even hear a woman preach from a pulpit until I was in college and I still wasn't sure that it was right but I really liked her uh and and so even many years later I still gravitated towards very male centered leadership dominated kind of churches um and I didn't fully get out of that until I was in my 30s so feminism was like this very insistent kind of you know like underneath narrative going ask more questions, ask more questions. And so eventually the more that I listened and tuned into my feminism, the more it forced me to sort of reimagine myself as a churchgoer, as a Christian and to really kind of reckon with um, the way that the church, the black church in particular, which is the church that I'm most familiar with, like participates and perpetuates patriarchy. Uh, And there was just no silencing that once I fully, fully tuned in.
0: I guess you had grown up in this tradition of black male leadership, and you know you first realized that there there was some friction or there was some contradiction or, or something there when you were in grad school. But it wasn't until you were in your thirties that you had kind of I don't know um, learned how how to subvert just the expectation of black male leadership. What what took so long?
3: Yeah, like I'm definitely a late bloomer to the woke Christian thing. Mm. But, but for a couple of reasons. One is because once I, I had like, I didn't come up in a church where you couldn't ask questions. And I was very resistant to the idea that what it meant to be an intellectual or to be woke or to be conscious of injustice meant that you that you therefore had to be an atheist or a non-believer. And so it that resistance made me sort of double down sometimes in the wrong ways around the dogma of Christianity. But the other part of it um, is like, one, I'm kind of a good girl by nature and I like being one. And I had also felt, because I grew up working class and I had come from such harrowing circumstances as a kid, surviving like a, an abusive parent. You know, my mom hustled and worked hard. But when I looked at my life, I was like, I don't understand white liberals who think that they got all of this stuff, even from a liberal perspective by their bootstraps or by their privilege or however they think about it. For me, the story is the story of God's grace and provision and, you know, and sort of supernatural things seeming to come into focus for me at really critical moments. And it felt really hard. It felt like to have this super critical perspective of the faith would be to walk away from the things that felt true to me about my journey with God. And so it made me resistant. Um, But the other thing, quite frankly, (laughs) that made me, go like, okay, you got to think about this differently, is I was horny uh, and had been (laughs) abstinent uh, for most of my 20s and miserable, trying to do this church girl thing. And I remember very clearly, like, being about 29 and Just being like, this is not working. I'm not going to make it. Like, I have to get some. But also, I don't want Jesus to, like, cast me out and not bless me. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, wrestling, like, over the course of a weekend and just being like, Lord, like, is there a better way? Because this is, this feels miserable. And honestly, feeling like a very deep break in my spirit where I felt God being like, girl, like, you're good. Like, no, stop worrying about this thing. And and then it's sort of being affirmed in a couple of places where I was with people that I trusted to be spiritual and spiritually connected. And and it was and that was mind blowing for me because I was like, Well, if you're saying that it's okay for me to go out and like get some or to have a sexual life as a single person, then what else have I been wrong about? And here we and, and so then the journey really commenced. Um, but it, it actually began on the ground began on the ground of sexuality, quite frankly.
0: Oh wow, so that's that's interesting. So the, the sex the sexuality thing was a catalyst.
3: Yeah, I mean very much so. Because look Sexuality is actually one of the things that we use to control women in the church, and so so much of when whenever you go to church and people are talking about sin, I mean, they might be talking about some drinking and smoking wild party that you had, but most of the time, it's always
0: sex. Yeah, it's, it's always, always sex, sex. Yeah,
3: it's always sex. It's the thing that you're made to feel guilty about. It's the thing where you're like, the Lord is looking at you crazy because you had sexual desire of some type. We we do so much fear mongering in the church and so much blaming of our community over we're like well you wouldn't be struggling if you hadn't had sex and got that baby you wouldn't be struggling if you hadn't had sex and got that STD you wouldn't be struggling if you hadn't had sex and got caught up with this man and it's always us sort of wagging our finger at women as well and being like you're all caught up on this no good man but it's because you're having sex outside of marriage or whatever it was a super limiting and conservative you know form of like social control and so I do think it's interesting and also sort of really basic that once I could break free of the shaming around sex and sexuality then everything else was on the table.
0: So, while while you were experiencing that, did was there ever a moment where you felt disconnected from God? Not just from the church, but from from God?
3: Mm. Look, yeah. Like There. Look, I will say, even now, there are moments sometimes when I just think to myself, "Do you really believe this shit? Like, do you really believe that (laughs) that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you believe that Jesus got up out of the like? It's so. It's sort of. It's just completely implausible. Do you believe? You know. So I still, to this day, probably this week, I still believe that. And so I'm like living in the contradiction where I feel I felt very clearly like an affirmed call to like you are to be a preacher of the gospel gospel understood in many ways. And also like but we know the Bible is like a super problematic document. And so it's really weird to kind of try to sit in all of that and 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 make sense of it. And I and I feel like I'm just at the beginning of that journey. And you know, and fi- and you know, my my friend said to me. She said, she said, yeah. She said, exactly. Uh, she was like, oh, some of us are more honest about that than others. And I was like, so all y'all are not having no experience of the text, but you are out here making people feel like the Lord told you at three in the morning, whatever the thing was, right? Oh my God.
0: So. I think I hate gospel rap for the same reason I get annoyed when niggas catch the ghost at church. I mean, like with gospel rap, it's it's the juxtaposition of themes. Like, I'll hear a trap beat with the trap drums and the trap bass. And I'll anticipate larceny, trapping, murder. But then the actual lyrics start. Trapping for my homie. I'm trapping to the grave. Trapping for Jesus. Trapping to be saved. (laughs) And now instead of murder... I got to think about Jesus. And I I feel the same way when someone in the pew behind me catches the ghost. It's like, why are you trying so hard? If he's everywhere, he hears you. And he sees you, my nigga. What are you trying to prove? Of course, as both Brittany and, and Roy alluded, your relationship with spirituality, Christianity, God whatever is your relationship which I guess makes sense what other people do and, and feel don't matter but if the feeling ain't there for me what kind of relationship is it? I guess it's just mine just my relationship with God that should be enough but that's not enough to make me feel like a good Christian Do I feel like a bad Christian? No. Just a fake one. Stuck with Damon Young is a Spotify original podcast from Gimlet and Crooked Media. It's hosted and written by me, Damon Young. Ruben Davis is our executive producer. Our producers are Ashley Belez, Morgan Moody, Carlton Gillespie, Priscilla Alabi, Stephen Hoffman, and Corinne Gilliard. Mixing and sound design by Jesse Nas, Charlotte Landis, and Veronica Simonetti. Theme music and score by Open Mike Eagle. From Crooked Media, Our executive producers are Tanya Sominator, Sarah Geismer, and Katie Long. From Gimlet, our executive producers are Rosie Guerin, Crystal Hall-Stressler, Colin Campbell, and Lydia Polgreen.